need to thank my grandson for leaving me extra time for the class. With his. <laughs> I told him that first lesson I ever did, <clears throat> first of all, I was 24 years old, and it was, it was a 30-minute sermon, and it took me seven minutes. <laughs> so Zach did really well compared to where I, where I started a long time ago, so appreciate him uh, a lot. We're in Revelation, <clears throat> pardon me, chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19, as we're getting drawing toward the end of the book. Um, before we get started, though, we'll have a short prayer just to, just to get our class going. <clears throat> Almighty God in heaven, thank you. Thank you so much for just a, a beautiful day, especially being the Lord's day. We're so, so thankful for all the blessings you give us for the spiritual blessings especially, but also for the physical blessings and for the recent rains you've given us here, we thank you. We thank you most of all for Jesus, which we're going to study about this morning and his uh, coronation, his triumphant nature, the King of kings and Lord of lords. We're so thankful for him. Without him, we, we have no hope. Um, be with us during this class period, Father, in his name, amen. <clears throat> Kind of a caveat to get us started in 19, you know, I'll call it 19 and 20 also. There's probably been more distortions, doctrines, things that uh, spring from Revelation 19 and 20. Things from, you know, when he talks about uh, burning in fire, a nuclear conflagration that, that's, that's yet to come. Um, that when he comes back, Jesus comes back, that he'll set up his kingdom, so forth. And there, there are many others. Of course, when we go to Mark chapter 9 and verse 1, it says when Jesus comes back, he's going to turn the kingdom over to God. 1 Corinthians uh, 15 also. So some things we have to keep in mind, well, before I even get to that, uh, the Battle of Armageddon, which we talked about a couple of chapters back. Uh, what does that mean? We talked about the, the city or the town of Megiddo and, and its uh, uh, military uh, significance and the battles there in the Jezreel Valley and so on. Um, what's signified by the thousand-year reign? Many say that... Uh, the Lord will come back and uh, take the faithful saints to heaven, and then they'll be, give people another chance on the earth during his reign for a thousand years and so forth. Some ask the question, <clears throat> why? We'll see that in chapter 20. Uh, why has the Lord, why would he have uh, bound Satan, threw him into the abyss, and then decided to let him loose for a little while? So there's some, some of those questions, you know, we're not 100% sure about, but uh, we do know this, things to remember, <clears throat> and uh, Sean had mentioned this uh, very early on, and, and it's so true. Our ground rules, our guideposts, our, our limiters, if you will, the answers must be consistent with the rest of the Bible. You can't lift verses out of the book of Revelation, which we, number one, we remember things which must shortly come to pass, and symbolism. 
that it was written in symbols. Remember, some say to confuse the Romans, others, uh, which could be true, and that, that Christians would understand, but maybe no one else would understand. Probably some truth to that. Um, it must be uh, consistent with the theme of Revelation, the book of Revelation, which is, what is the overall theme of the book of Revelation? Jesus wins. Victory. Satan loses. And I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, be faithful unto death. And that Jesus is going, and we're going to see some of this even. We saw it in 17, 18, and then 19, that, that Jesus is going to vindicate his saints. That Babylon's going to fall, Rome, I think. Babylon's going to fall. We saw that in 18. Babylon has fallen, has fallen. <clears throat> so we have to keep that in mind. It's not about Adolf Hitler. It's not about a nuclear uh, Middle East that's going, it's not about that. If it, if it were, what would that have meant 2,000 years ago to the Christians who were living? It would have meant zero, nothing. So we have to frame all of this in, in that context. Uh, it must have a relevant meaning to first century Christians. Otherwise, uh, what does it mean? It doesn't mean anything to them. So any interpretation <clears throat> that, we, that we glean from the book of Revelation, and certainly when we get in 19 and 20, got to be consistent. It's got to go along with what the, the message of Revelation is, and it cannot contradict other clear passages. One of the rules of Bible study. We all know it, that you interpret the difficult in light of the simple or plain. Just to, that's just, that just makes sense. So <clears throat> as we go into this, keep this, keep this in mind. Now, while, while I get a cough drop, <clears throat> uh, anybody got a comment or question? I hope you do while I do this. Pardon me. Go ahead, Gary. The sum of thy word is truth. Is all truth revealed in one passage? No. Is it the truth? It is. Some of that truth. Uh, Carol. My dad used to call this cafeteria religion. You go down the line and you pick what you want, and then you get the other <laughs> I like that. In case if you didn't hear that, uh, her dad uh, said that called cafeteria religion. And the picture is we've all been in cafeterias, not so much anymore. Um, but you would go through and I'll take this and I'll take the fried okra. And, oh, I wouldn't, but Jason would. <laughs> I'll take the corn and I'll do these things. And so you pick and you choose. Well, the Bible is not a picking and choosing kind of thing. It's not the Thomas Jefferson Bible where he, Thomas Jefferson, a great man, uh, but he went through and cut out the passages that he did not like uh, as if that were going to magically make them disappear. It's not cafeteria religion. I'm going to remember that one, Carol. Thank you. What are you saying? There you go. Okay, very good, very good. Any, any other thing? Any, any question? Okay. Chapter 19. I'm going to read maybe the first six, well, the first six verses. 
and then we'll talk about that. After these things, I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments, because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication, and he has avenged on her the blood of, the, blood of his servant shed by her. And they said, Alleluia, her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sat on the throne saying, Amen, Alleluia. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, and those who fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. The Holy Spirit reveals there the word Alleluia four times. The word Alleluia is never used before or in since any book in the New Testament, not one time. I find that interesting. We don't know the reason, but we can, I don't think it's wrong to talk about it a little bit. First of all, what does Alleluia mean? Let me back up a step. Praise the Lord. Now, where does this, since it, we've, never, we've not read it before this time, the New Testament's basically written, and this is the last book, and it's almost written where we are now. Never used. Where does this word, Alleluia, originate from? Somebody said something, I'm sorry. Well, it's certainly a Hebrew word. No question. I'm going in the New Testament. Yeah, uh, the New Testament. That's what I'm talking about now. The word's not used in the New Testament. It originates, according to this, in heaven. Does it not? It does. And I've read some. I wouldn't disagree with it. The more I thought about it, it could be a heavenly word. because I, Well, it is a heavenly word, of course. But I just find it interesting that... that a great voice from heaven, Jesus, maybe, maybe, but certainly a, an angel, strong angel, which we read about already. And the, the people who, uh, the saved, the people whose blood the Lord has avenged and will avenge, the 24 elders, remember back in Revelation 7, I think, uh, when he talked about the 24 elders and the four living creatures who fall down, we see these again. Remember, they cast their crowns down before the Lord, and now this word, Alleluia, comes from heaven. I, I just find that an interesting, interesting concept, that, that it's not used anywhere else in the New Testament. I asked my friend Ryan Dart, if he would, to, read, to lead number 111 as our opening song, Alleluia, and he graciously uh, agreed to do that, and I appreciate that very much. Um, Salvation and, uh, first of all, is there a question about that or, or a comment? Yes, sir. Sometimes in the Psalms and in the prayer, 
we will get to that, but I, I, while you're there, I thought that was interesting. Our brother said that the, basically the battle's already over. When, uh, I don't want to get too far, but when Jesus and his white horse, on his great white horse, we'll talk about the symbolism there, and he brings his, his people back on white horses, what do warriors normally wear? Kevlar vest, and they have tanks, and they have all sorts of, in this, in this context, armor. What were they wearing, by the way? Robes, white linen. Well, how do you go to battle in white linen? Well, the battle's already over. It's already over, so I'm going to save some of that, but it's a really, really good point, a really good point. Um, go back to, just real quickly, Revelation 7. It was Revelation 7 and verse 9. I thought that was right. <clears throat> After these things, I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed, as Michelle said, in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne uh, and to the Lamb and all the angels and the 24 elders and, and all of that were, were around there. Now, what happened one verse earlier in, 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 in Revelation chapter 6, what was the, some of the question that the saints were asking God? How long are you going to do this before you avenge us? How long, Father, is this going to go on? And what was his reply? Why don't you rest a little while? Rest a little while. I'm going to take care of it. We're going to see him taking care of it now in these next couple of chapters. I'll take care of it. I got this. Any lessons for you and me today? What kind of questions do we ask sometimes? Particularly in the whatever, whatever we're living in now. Father, how long are you going to put up with this? And I suspect his answer is you do your part. I got this. I'll take care of it. I firmly believe that. And so it's applicable today. He doesn't work on our time frame. Right? Something else that teaches us is patience. I mean, it taught them patience back in Revelation, and it teaches us patience today. It's in his time, not ours. And we're always impatient because we want it done now. Now, generation. That's what Don't talk to my wife about patience with, with me. <laughs> Sometimes I, <laughs> we want it, we want it now, don't we? That's the society we live in. That's our, everything's touch, touch a button and it's now. And we expect that. I've been praying for rain for, for quite a while. Well, we got some, but we'll just keep praying for it and we'll, and we'll get some more. But he's gonna rain on us when he decides it's gonna rain or whatever else we're asking about. It's a good point. Uh, teaches us patience, perseverance. Uh, any, any thoughts on that? Yes, sir. That's right. That's a great point. That's a, that's a great point. In fact, 
we'll see when this battle starts. Well, why is the battle taking so long to start? Because of God's patience, long-suffering, and his grace and mercy, not willing that any should perish. Sometimes we're like the sons of thunder. Bring it down on them now. So they, you know, James and John and all of that. It's interesting that James was the first martyr and John, his brother, was the last, last to die. Interesting. But we, we kind of want retribution. And the Lord said, vengeance is mine. I'll take care of it. You take care of your business, I'll take care of mine. Good point. Excellent point. First, I'm sorry, I'm at, uh, Lisa, go ahead. That's another great point. For, for, the, for the video, Lisa said that we want the sons of thunder now on others. But, oh, not me, by the way. We, we want the patience. We, we really do. And um, he's not willing that any should perish. So we have to go along with his, with his time frame and be happy about it. Uh, yes, sir? Great point. Jake. Good points. Let's go back to the book of Job. Job didn't understand what was going on, and he started about halfway through it, started questioning God a little bit. Of course, his friends already knew the answer, they thought. And what, how did God answer Job at the end? He didn't. He didn't? I don't owe you anything, Job. I don't owe you an explanation, or as our brother said here, I don't know, owe you an explanation. Just know it's going to work out, and it did for Job. But he's not going to send us an email because he doesn't owe us that. Now, that's where our faith and, and, our, and our perseverance and our patience has to come into play. He will t but will he take care of it? Oh, yes. He takes care of his business, Gary. Us. I have work to do. That's what he's 
Well, he goes on to say down three or four verses, five, maybe five verses, he says, uh, talk about the saints, the acts of, uh, righteous acts of the saints. Well, what does that imply? God would say, why don't you get busy? Why don't you get busy doing what the work I gave you to do? And I'll take care of the rest. There's work to be done. Righteous work to be done. And he's going to put that in the context of marriage, which I, hopefully I'll get to this morning. If not, we'll finish it up Wednesday night. Uh, wonderful lessons in that. You, you've got your job. You, you do what I ask you to do, and I'll take care of the rest. Real simple. But we would like to be involved. <laughs> Don. And don't forget it. Great, great point. And we're going to see this, this, this Jesus on his white horse with his fire-piercing eyes, with a double-edged sword coming out of his mouth, Hebrews 8, Hebrews 4, verse 8. We're going to see all of that, and we're going to talk about it in a, in a little bit. Um, is that the same Jesus that walked on the earth? and that was nailed to the cross, who was spat upon. Well, it's the same Jesus, but it's not the same, same deal. He's not coming back as a person riding on a donkey. Uh, this, is the, this is the glorified almighty God himself, Jesus. And we, I'm gonna save some of that till we get down a few verses, but anybody else? Uh, go ahead, Sean. Just real quick. Go ahead. listen to us. Very good point. There's a difference between frustration and sinning. Job didn't sin, but he was frustrated. He was frustrated with everything. Yep, that's, a, that's an excellent point. Anything else before we go to verse 6? Verse 6. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, 
as the sound of many waters and as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. We saw a, a, boy, a, a, a chapter back, an angel with a loud voice. What's all this loud stuff going on? Um, mighty waters, many waters, loud thunderings. It was so loud. The saints there were so loud praising God. Alleluia, four times. You have people sometimes who struggle to come to worship services, to worship God. Some can come up with more excuses than a radio. How in the world are you going to be happy in heaven? Well, the answer is you're probably not going to make it. But it's about worship. It's about singing. It's about praising. It's about alleluia. It's about millions of people. It's not going to be quiet when we come to praising him. I find that interesting as well. There's a time when we go in our closet and we pray by ourselves. I get that. Jesus said that. But there are times when we have to show some emotion. We do. And I'm afraid the world has tainted us to the point, particularly the denominational world where we... Uh, uh, Ken Leach used to say when he was a preacher, he said uh, he was somewhere and he was... Um, um, somebody said, praise God. He kept saying, praise God. And the preacher went to him and said, no, we don't praise God around here. <laughs> the point being that emotion is okay. Now, do it decently and in order. Got all of that. Got it. But when we sing, sometimes it's like we're, we're singing right before a hanging. Um, that's not praise and worship to our God. Sometimes it's so slow we think we're at a funeral. You know, let's sing. Let's praise God. That's what he wants us to do. Now that was free. That didn't cost anything. <laughs> let's look at verse 7. Now this is a very interesting analogy here coming up. We probably won't have time to finish it. It depends on when the bells ring. But uh, very, very interesting stuff. Uh, verse 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory. Notice, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Write, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are true sayings of God. Now, marriage in our society is different from marriage in Hebrew society. Uh, go back to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 and 20. 
Matthew 1, 18 through 20. I'm at Matthew 18. That won't work. Didn't think that looked right. Matthew 1, 18 and 20. Of course, talking about Mary and Joseph, and we, and we, all, we all know the story. But uh, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was noticed, betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with a child of the Holy Spirit. Now drop down to verse 20. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take, uh, to, take to you Mary, your wife, for she has conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> there was the espousal period. We, uh, how, how, what kind of word we, might we use there? Engagement period. And sometimes that went on for months. Months you were espoused to your husband or to your wife. Now you had to remain faithful to her sexually uh, even though you two were not technically married yet. You were still bound to her during this engagement period, during this espousal period. And then you were, you were betrothed, the Bible uses. Then you were married at a later date. Now, the church, would you say that's who the wife is? The church? That, 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 that's, what, that's what it says. Uh, the church is, is the, the bride of Christ. And we are engaged to him. We are espoused to him just like they were. Now, the consummation of that marriage is going to take place when? Second coming. Second coming. When, when, when there was a, a Hebrew marriage, on the day of the marriage, they would have a procession to the bride's house. You could almost see it in your eyes. Through, through Judea there, they would, they would all, the, the wedding party would go to the bride's house. After that, they would go to the groom's house for the marriage feast. And it was a big deal. I even read, it was a time of tremendous joy, the most joyous party or feast that that a Jew could attend during that time, a, a Christian even could attend. I read one of the, it's kind of interesting really, uh, it's called a, a rabbinical rabbi, a rabbinical teaching that said, during this feast, during at this wedding feast, at, 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 and Jesus went to many weddings, went to many wedding feasts, that Due to the amount of joy and, and, and the eating and all the things that went along with that, that we suspend the teachings uh, for the, at, on this day that might uh, go against their teachings, the, the Jewish teaching. I found that interesting. Um, the, the guy that quoted that quoted it as fact. 
from a, a rabbi who had wrote, written during that time. In other words, while we're together having our feast at the, at the, at the uh, a groom's house, um, in case we overdo anything, it don't count today. <laughs> okay. I just found that an oh, by the way, kind of an interesting uh, kind of thing. So we see that, that Jesus is coming back. We're going to see the big battle here, probably Wednesday night before we get to the battle. <clears throat> he wants the church to be ready. Now notice, the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Now we've touched on that already, but what's our job? While we're waiting on the great consummation, when Jesus comes back, spread the word. I heard that. What else? Stay pure. Pardon? Stay pure. Stay pure. If you want to be dressed in white, you better dress in fine linen and white here, which means we got to do the right things. Now, just like when Jesus was killed on the cross, disgracefully murdered, this church, his bride, are, has it been treated disgracefully also over the millennia? It has. What about today? It has. It is. What's going to happen on the, on the great day of the marriage feast? We're all going to be dressed in white, dressed in fine linen. We're going to be hallelujah in God. We're going to be praising him. And how long is this going to last? Just that day, Lance said, <laughs> eternity, eternity. So somebody said, what are we going to be doing in heaven? That's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be worshiping God, praising God. And uh, go, go, I'm sorry, go ahead, Greg. My bad. My bad. That's right.
we ignore, ignore it as our, at our own peril, don't we? You said 60 seconds, what it's I've taken me 40 minutes to say. That was wonderfully said. Wonderfully said. Look at, as we're getting ready to close here pretty soon, look at 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 2. 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 2. Of course, Paul talking, but through the guides of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> for I'm jealous for you with godly jealousy. For I have, there's a word again, for I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. And he goes on to talk about the simplicity in Christ and so on. We'll get into all that. Uh, Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5. When he talks about relationships of husbands and wives, what does he say at, at, at the end of Ephesians, or at the end of that, when he talks about, I speak in a great mystery. Who's he talking about there? Christ of the church. And that's that husband-wife relationship. That's that marriage faithfulness and marriage relationship. But he said, and all that's true, but he says, what I'm really talking about is, 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 is Jesus and his church. So we don't want to miss that last great feast that'll last forever, the wedding feast. We want to be ready. And he says, you better be doing your righteous acts along the way if you want to dress with me in white and be victorious. Sean. Yeah. Isn't that what Hosea was about? Yes. Hosea is a very uh, a prostitute. Mm -hmm. And that would be symbolic for Israel to God. And likewise, under the new covenant, God has a bride. It's the church. And it's the same thing. Are we going to be the faithful bride? Are we going to be the faithful bride? That's what it boils down to, which is what Don was saying about uh, the Alleluia and the, in, the, in the Old Testament. It certainly was there, but it just wasn't in the New Testament. Great point. I like to do. If I could get through 10, I'd like to. One main point here. <clears throat> and I fell at the feet to worship him. But he said to me, see that you do not do that. I'm your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. John... Probably would have done the same thing. So you're so afraid. I would have probably fallen down too. We saw it back in Revelation 5, I believe, where he did it again. And when he fell down to worship the angel, what did the angel say? Up, 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 up. Get up. Angels are created beings. We're created beings. Created beings don't worship created beings. Angels are whatever. Now, angels are here. You know, we get it. Angels are higher than man. Not, uh, they are. And you go back to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 1 and 2. Um, angels were created. Notice that. What Hebrews 1 and like verse, I don't know, 8 or 10, somewhere in there. Why were angels created? Or One of the reasons. They are to serve us. That's what it says in Hebrews 1. How does that work? Oh, I don't know. I don't know about that. But we have this veneration of angels, the veneration of saints, the veneration, all these things. That's not biblical. That's not biblical. Uh, he says, you get up. 
We worship God and God only. Lance. Word, I'm sorry, word, it's a previous in my hearing. Yeah, in, in verse, uh, is that verse 10 there? Verse 10, yes. He says, see that you did not do that. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. So I, I'm just curious, if I was reading that correctly, I don't see why it couldn't be in one of those angels be brethren, but yeah. No, no, I, I, th I think it, in a sense, they are our brethren and that they're created to, to uh, do God's will. They're messengers of God. And in some sense, Hebrews 1, they perform certain things for us. But I don't, I, I, Lance, I can't explain that. I, I, I don't know. But in that sense, we are, uh, you know, we're created a little bit lower than the angels. We, we all understand that. Uh, Gary, then Jason. Good, good question. Okay. We all hold the testimony. What does that mean? We are we are pro proclaiming he is Jesus Christ, the Lord of God. Okay. Okay. And we're one with that. Yeah, no, I, I that's a good point. Jason? I agree totally that we uh, we're, we are created and and we should share that. But I think it's actually just saying, I'm a fellow servant of yours, talking to him, and all your brethren. Okay. Yeah, Hebrews 1. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we were just trying to get to, the, to that brethren part. But no, I, I totally get that. Yeah, it's not, not a problem to understand that. Um, Adon. We're all brethren in service. True. We have different levels. That's true. Even the four living creatures around the throne fall into that idea of servitude. So we are different levels of service, but we all all brethren in service to God. Which I think is what Jason was saying, sorta. What Gary was saying, and no, I agree with that. Yeah, no, that's well said. Everybody okay with that? Because I think that's what it means. Um, the last phrase there, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And we all know what those words mean. We just never seen them strung together like that. What is the testimony of Jesus and the spirit? Now notice, the spirit of prophecy. When you start at Genesis 1, and when you go to Revelation 22, what's, it, what's this Bible about? It's about Jesus. 
It's about Jesus. And Jesus is coming. And what does the book of Ephesians say? When the fullness of time comes, when things are just right, and he chose during Roman times, system of law, great road system, all of that. When things were just right, Jesus came. And then Jesus did what he, was, what he came to do. This whole book is about Jesus. Pointing to Jesus for several thousand years. To Jesus and then after Jesus. And how we relate in that plan. So Jesus has been prophesied basically from day one, so to speak. From day one, Jesus. It's all about him. It's all about him. And that's why we can't worship anything created. We can't. We worship Jesus. Period. End of the story. Why? Because of the whole revealed mind of God over a period of a couple, 3,000 years. Whatever it was. Questions or comments? We're going to get into the battle on Wednesday night. I don't think I want to start that yet. But Lance. Uh, I have to give credit to, to, to the publisher of my Bible. It mentions John 5.39 and Luke 24.27 regarding this. And I think it hit that nail on the head because the, the, the John verse is at the beginning of that book. And it says, you search the scriptures for them, then you think you have eternal life. These are they which testify of me. Right? right. And then in Luke 24 and 27, it says, in the beginning, this is after he's dead now, and he's explaining things. And then he says, and in, in beginning at most of the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Yeah. Yep. And I think what kind of tricks us a little bit here is they, they put the cart before a horse in English, saying, you know, talking about the end. Testimony of Jesus is found through all the prophecy that was laid leading up to himself. And, and, and that is one of the big proofs for us of, of, of how great this story is. And, no, that, that's excellent. And that just takes us back to Greg's point. Oh, whatever you got to do, whatever you have to give up. You know, he talked, Jesus talks about in Matthew 18 toward the end about if you have to be a eunuch for the kingdom of God, you do it. You do it. Well, that won't be easy. Who, says it? Who talked about easy? There's nothing easy about this. We don't want to miss that great feast at the end. Now, note, and we'll close with this. What kind of mood was... Um, was uh, Revelation 18, one chapter earlier. Was there a lot of happiness and loud thunderings and waters and all of that? Or was it mourning? They were mourning.